Hey, good morning, Genesis Church. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, and obviously, uh, I'm not here with you today. Uh, in fact, I, I get the great privilege this morning of being with Mike Jackson, one of our elders. We're in Haiti, and uh, we get an opportunity to worship with a church there in Haiti today and see firsthand some of the great work that God's doing through Nehemiah Vision Ministry, uh, Esperon du Pierre, uh, right there in Haiti. And I look forward to coming back next week and telling you about our experience and share with you a little bit more about how we as a church uh, can get involved with some of the great ministry happening there in Haiti. But today, uh, I look forward to introducing to you a guest speaker. You know, we've been in this series uh, that we're calling Intersections, uh, that we've reached this intersection, this great opportunity as a church uh, to do some awesome things for God. A lot of that has to do with how we live, uh, how we get to know the people around us, and ultimately what it means to share the love of Jesus with others. I've invited Mark Slaughter uh, to be here with us to be our guest today. And I know that some of you have gotten to know Mark uh, through our Connection Groups training. Uh, Mark is a regional evangelist with InterVarsity Ministries, which is a college ministry. Uh, he travels all around the country speaking on college campuses to students uh, about what it means to, to live for Jesus, what it means to uh, put your life in action, ultimately what it means to help people find their way back to God. And that's what we've been asking. And so Mark's going to come today. Uh, his offices are here in Noblesville. He's a great guy. Uh, he's getting to know Genesis Church. And I really believe that you're going to love what he has to offer today. And so if you'll join me, uh, let's welcome Mark Slaughter to Genesis Church. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> First time I've been introduced live from Haiti. Okay, so that's uh, pretty, pretty exciting. I've really enjoyed getting to know Paul and many of you here at Genesis. Uh, just put it straight out, we beat with the same heart. Okay, I mean, I found some real soul brothers and sisters here, and so it's pretty exciting because I, I serve with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, as he mentioned, and my passion ever since I was in high school was to to figure out how to communicate my faith with my friends in high school and now um, for the rest of my life, but how to do it in a truthful way that's relevant and compassionate to people. And so 30 years ago, I began speaking and communicating, and then 20 years ago, I joined with InterVarsity, and they created a role for me to be able to speak with college students. And I'll just say it's very exciting to see what God's doing in this student generation of raising up students who passionately want to encounter Jesus and make a difference practically in service and in sharing their faith and being world changers in their community. So um, that's pretty exciting. We do have a display set up out back, and if you're interested in learning more about InterVarsity uh, or about our ministry or want to receive our newsletter, just sign up or take a free newsletter or whatever. Some of you may have friends on college campuses, and if you want to talk to me about who, you know, how to get connected with them, that's great too. But it's exciting to be here. When Paul told me about your mission statement at Genesis, I knew we were going to be friends for life <laughs> because his, as he told me, the statement was helping people find their way back to God. The only thing I wish was I'd thought of that first, but it was an amazingly concise, accurate, compelling vision. And that is what I'm doing with InterVarsity and in our neighborhood. And I love having my office here in Noblesville and my wife is here in this hour and our, we live 10 minutes from here and so in our neighborhood or at my office, we're trying to help people find their way back to God as well. And so today we want to build off of Paul's message from last week in this intersection series. Last week he spoke about connecting with people in the body, in the church, 
connecting in deep relationships inside the walls of the church, or in terms of inside of uh, the community here. Today we want to kind of take part B of that and say, how do we connect with people outside of the walls of this church? How do we connect with our friends and neighbors and family? Now, before, as we do that, I want to ask you the question, what do you think of when you hear the word evangelism? What images come to your minds? What feelings come up? Your heart's already beating just a little bit faster. But what feelings come up when you think about that? What images? Some of us think about talking to strangers or knocking on doors or just talking. Sometimes we think about you know, kind of manipulating a conversation or having to learn a script. What is it that comes to your mind? We're going to take a look at a clip, and I want to ask you as you look at this, can you relate to this clip on either side of the equation? Where have you seen yourself possibly uh, in this experience, and does this relate to how you think about evangelism? Let's take a look. I've seen that hundreds of times, and I still laugh. <laughs> I've been that person. I've had it done to me. And I know it's not pleasant on either end. Now, that doesn't mean there's not, a, not information we need to know, but sharing our faith is so much more than learning a script or being programmed or being robotic. Um, it's interesting, the word evangelism has taken on some really negative baggage for many of us. As you're sitting here in the room, just hearing that E word kind of freaks you out sometimes, I'm sure. I actually have two business cards, and when I told Paul about that, he thought it was really funny, because I'm an, my job title is I am a regional evangelist. It doesn't get much worse than that, okay? Um, that's like if I'm meeting my neighbors for the first time, and I say, oh, what do you do? I'm in marketing, sales, whatever, and I'm waiting on them to say to me, now if I never want to see these people again the rest of my life, I just say I'm an evangelist, and that just shuts that baby down in a hurry. Um, if, on the other hand, if I want to actually know them as people, then I would have to say something like, well, I speak on university campuses. And you can just see them looking like marketing, sales, computer, IT. You don't fit my grid here, you know? And you get paid for that? You know, that's what they usually say. And, uh, but they're like, well, what do you speak about? And suddenly, I'll tell, I could say, you know, I speak on the gospel according to Jesus Christ. And you've got to get that kind of hook in there, you know, with your arm, that long index finger. But instead, I'll say, well, I speak on everyday topics that we all face and try to figure out where God fits into that. I'm like, oh, wow. Now we've begun a friendship. I'll say, well, what's been your experience with God and your religion? And suddenly I'm getting to know them as a person. And so anyway, it's really interesting. The word evangelism is so scary to a lot of us because we think that that means we have to talk to strangers or we, it's a monologue, a script we've learned, conveying information to someone and sharing my faith is much more than just information transfer. Uh, a lot of us, uh, that just raises all kinds of fears in our minds. It's this idea that I've got to be somebody I'm not. I'm afraid I'm going to be rejected. I may look like some religious nut, this fanatical person, and I'll lose the friendship, and I won't know the answers that they ask, and it just boils all of these fears to the top. Some of us, the image that comes to our minds when we think about sharing our faith and connecting with people outside the Christian faith is kind of that slick salesperson, like this guy on this picture here, um, the guy that you just really don't believe or trust, okay? The man or woman that is, has an ulterior motive or they're only telling you half of the truth and they're really all about getting you to sign up for something you really don't want. You know, it's about manipulating maybe the conversation or withholding things. And that's our image of what it is. This morning, I want to throw a different paradigm out. I want us to think about 
reaching the person next door to us, next door in the cubicle or at the office where you work, next door in your neighborhood or apartment complex, next door at school, wherever you are, that person next door, rather than being a salesperson, here's another model. In fact, here's the big idea of the whole morning, okay? Just the bottom line picture is this. We need to be spiritual friends, not slick salespersons to reach people today. We need to be spiritual friends. Now, what's a spiritual friend? One author put it this way when he said that, you know, the problem is a lot of people are very spiritual, but they come on so strongly that it just pushes everybody away and they're not safe to talk to. On the other hand, we have people that are friends that are very safe, but they are not spiritual and they don't have anything spiritual to say. So a spiritual friend takes those two and brings them together where they are someone who is very safe to talk to, but someone who has something to say spiritually because they know Jesus Christ. And so that's the picture. What does it mean to be a spiritual friend, one who is safe but has something to say? Now, as we explore that, one of the first questions that would pop into my mind is, what do people today think and feel about Christianity or about Christians? And as I've been with InterVarsity and as I talk to my neighbors and people at work, I see how people have changed in the last five or ten years, and it's gotten more intense in some areas, but some real shifts. Uh, A few years ago, about three or four years ago, uh, I think three years ago, there was a book published by George Barna's organization and the Fermi Project called UnChristian. And over a three-year period of time, they surveyed thousands of people ages 16 to 29 in the United States and asked them, what do you believe and feel and think about Christians and Christianity? These were people had been in most, 80% of them had been involved in, with uh, Christians or with churches. So they're not basing this upon the media or external experiences. They're basing it upon knowing people in church and of being around Christians. What did they find in that interview? They found a couple of things. They summarized it with six areas, but I'll mention four of them today. They said, they, generally it boiled down to this, that they saw Christians as being sheltered, hypocritical, just interested in getting me saved or beginning to follow Jesus and being judgmental. And there were some others too. But those four, when you just think about being sheltered, hypocritical, just interested in getting me saved or following Jesus and being judgmental in their appearance. In fact, as they surveyed this group, they talked about outsiders was was the word that they used to describe folks. And this was people who were outside of the Christian faith. Not people who had gone to church and still considered themselves Christian, even if they only came once or twice a year. These were people who were atheists, agnostics, belonged to other world religions, or have no religion at all. 40% of people 16 to 29 considered themselves to be an outsider to the Christian faith. You know what? That's two to three times the amount of their parents' or grandparents' generation. So we see where our society... Our American society generally is becoming more and more post-Christian, more and more anti-Christian even, but where more and more people are completely outside of the Christian faith. And many of you may be here, and maybe that's your background, and I hope you feel like this is a safe place for you to explore God in the process. In, in, on InterVarsity with our ministry, um, I'll tell you, I've just got to tell you some about what I do because it's so much a part and parcel of who I am and what my life is about. But we've noticed this anti-Christian kind of mindset for a lot on campus. 
And so we did an outreach called I Hate Religion Because. Here's a picture of what we do. We set up these graffiti-type boards on campus in a high-traffic area, and we just write up there, I hate religion because. That's it. And then we, we ask people, hey, do you have a minute to stop by and write your comments on the board? And so you can see that we get in conversations with people, but people take time, and they write their comments. Why do you hate religion? Or why do your friends or people hate religion in general? And it's been amazing to see how vulnerable and open people have been in their comments on there. It has been deeply moving to me to not only see the comments, and if you zoomed in on those boards and read those, you'd, some of you would be moved to tears over what's there. The pain and the hurt that's represented by people who've been hurt by the Christian church. And then we get them to write on there. We say, well, which of these comments on here stands out to you? And why did you write what you did? Well, tell me a little bit about your experience or your story with Christians. And pretty soon people start opening their lives. And we may be standing around there for 15 or 20 or 30 minutes hearing someone pour out their heart to a stranger. And our role right then is to give them a different picture of what a Christian looks like. Instead of that judgmental, sheltered, angry, narrow-minded view they have, here's someone who is listening empathetically. And then after a period of time, I'm able to say, well, you know what, I really, I find common ground with that. I've had some of those same experiences. I've been hurt by Christians. But you know, I've also seen where Jesus wasn't a hypocrite. And I point them to Jesus. And I tell them about my own story and then ask them, can you relate to that? And we just have a conversation back and forth. It is so cool. I wish I could just kind of take all of you there and put you in my backpack, but it would, be, it would break the backpack. And so, uh, but it is an amazing experience. Well, that's what we see. In fact, uh, we, we're trying to reach this student generation now. Uh, we'll have 20,000 students involved at a conference between Christmas and New Year's considering God's global cause this year at Urbana. And uh, because we see that up to 80% of students who come from a Christian youth group in a youth ministry are no longer practicing their faith sometimes. It may not always be 80, but it may be 50, but whatever. But there are a number that are, have had a great experience in student ministries, but then they go to college and they've got to take it the next step. And some do and some don't. And we're trying to continue what you do in student ministries here. So I say, how do we be spiritual friends? How, what does this look like? I want us to start by looking at the life of Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, we see a story that's pretty familiar to some of us where Jesus engaged a woman in conversation as a spiritual guide, a spiritual friend to help her um, encounter him in a pretty deep way. So take a look at what's on the screen. We're going to look at just the first part of it here at a time. And this is from John chapter 4. It says, now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, let's look at this passage. I want you to get yourself into the story of what's happening as we kind of see the context of, of, of how this whole story unfolded. First, Jesus was in um, Judea, and... 
um, he was, it says he was going back to Galilee. So he left Judea and he went to Galilee. Those are a couple of provinces there in that part of the world. Now, Jesus could have taken the safe route. He could have taken the, the safe route of avoiding Samaria. But he chose to take the courageous, bold, brave route of going through Samaria. What's the big deal about Samaria? See, Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. And so they were looked down upon by the Jewish people. They weren't 100% Jewish. They, uh, they were Samaritans. They didn't follow all the practices as, as they did. And they, they weren't from a royal line like that. And so they were mixed between Jews and Gentiles. And so they, the Jews looked down upon them. And the, what we read here in this passage is it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, he didn't have to. He chose to. He was intentional. And when he did, he came to this well. And, it, and picture this. He's on his journey. They walk. It's hot. And he's tired and thirsty. And it's sandy. And he sits down at high noon at this well because he's tired and thirsty. And all of a sudden... This Samaritan woman is here who comes to draw water from this well. Now, some people would say, well, why was she there at noon? Because a lot of the people would come earlier in the morning to draw the well when it was cooler. But, you know, we've learned later in the story that she did not have a great reputation in town. That this woman was sexually active, sexually promiscuous. Everybody knew it. Some have even speculated perhaps she was even a prostitute. We don't know. But we do know that she had a kind of a tainted reputation in town. So maybe she came to avoid the people, the rest of the people in the earlier morning. I don't know. But she is here, and Jesus sees her as he is thirsty and tired. And it's very powerful because as he sits down here, it's hot, and the noon sun is baking on him. And this Samaritan woman comes to draw the water, and Jesus very simply says to her, Will you give me a drink? One question. One simple question opens up a relationship with her. She says, will you give me a drink? That rattles her cage a little bit. You know, she's like, wait a minute, you're a Jewish man? I'm a Samaritan woman? We have gender barriers here going on. We have ethnic barriers going on between the Jews and the Samaritans, even perhaps some class issues or whatever. We certainly have moral issues going on here where you have the divine son, holy son of God and this woman who is wayward, and you're asking me for a drink? It roused her curiosity. You're different than any other man that I've met. Why would you ask me of a drink? See, it kind of heightened the curiosity factor. And so it's in that context, as we look at this story, I want us to look at principles that Jesus models for us on how to be a spiritual friend, okay? The first one, how can we be spiritual friends? First, we have to open our lives to other people. Frankly, the longer that a person is a Christ follower, the more sheltered they tend to be. They tend to have fewer friends outside of the Christian faith. And that's not how Jesus desires us to live our lives. Jesus intentionally went to Samaria. And as I look at his life in the Gospels, in the four, first four books of the New Testament that talk about his life, I see a posture of Jesus where he is moving toward people. Rich people, poor people. Educated, uneducated. Outcasts, the establishment. It doesn't matter. Jesus is moving toward people. 
over and over. Sometimes it's the educated religious leader like Nicodemus that comes to him at night. Sometimes it's the Samaritan woman. Often it was the outcast and the person who was marginalized and broken and disillusioned by a lot of the religious establishment of that day. But it was Jesus moving toward people. That's our model. And so we, if we're going to follow Jesus' example, have to be alert to those promptings that God's Spirit gives to us of who has He brought into my life to have an outward focus to other people's lives. I try to do that in my neighborhood and in my office, as well as on campus. Um, in, in our neighborhood, Dawn, my wife Dawn will sometimes uh, tease me because I'll go out for a little walk around the woods or something or down the neighborhood, and I'll come back an hour and a half later. That was supposed to be about a 15-minute walk. But Mark got stopped talking to someone, and, hey, how are you doing? And we get into some conversation, and, you know, it's a good thing that I find my way back home. But uh, I get into conversations because maybe someone just happened to be out right then that needed to talk. In my office building right here in Noblesville, just south of downtown, it's been a blast to get to know people, the tenants in our building. The other day I was coming in, and I had my book bag on one shoulder and my coffee mug, I think, and I had some papers here. I felt like I needed three hands, but I'm this disheveled mess. And I'm trying to hustle to my office to get some work done that I had to work all afternoon on some pretty hard stuff. But as I walked in, the lady who is um, kind of our building manager and custodian, she, she was engaged in a conversation with one of the tenants. And she and I talk a fair amount, and she's a Christ follower. And so, she, so I came in, and she says, hey, Mark, you know Brandon here, right? Yeah, so we started talking. And they had just been in a conversation about his life. He has a new eight-month-old baby, and they were fairly newly married. And in their conversation, he was talking about uh, religion happened to come up, and they were talking some. And, and uh, he said, I don't really have any religious background. Man, I, nobody ever told me anything about that. I'm not sure what I believe. And so we just started talking and had a great little talk there as I'm kind of holding on to my backpack and, you know, it took me 10 minutes before I realized I should put the backpack down, but I'm engaged in the conversation. And we talked for 10 or 15 minutes, just getting to know him, no pressure. And then we, I said, hey, let's grab lunch. I'd love to get to know you more. Turns out we live a mile from each other, a half a mile from each other. I've ridden my bike by his house and didn't even know it. And so God just brought us together and we had lunch. And so we just shot the breeze and had fun. And then after a while, I said, well, she mentioned you, you didn't have any religious background. So what, what kind of questions have you had? And so he just starts talking. We just had this casual conversation over lunch, and then we went back and was like, let's do that again, you know? It's very simple. You don't have to know it all. Just be alert to who God brings in your life. This last week, I was at Indiana State University for an outreach, and we had set up a display, kind of like that I hate religion one, but we set it up that had three boards there that said, what would you change about your world? What would you change about yourself? And what would you change about Christianity? And the first one, had, they had pictures and all kinds of things they interacted with. This woman walked by, a student, 19-year-old student named Ashley, and she had on her National Guard fatigues, and she's walking by, and she says, I'll tell you what I'd change about my world. I said, what's that? And she's kind of walking kind of quickly, and just stop for just a second. She says, I am sick and tired of seeing American soldiers giving their lives and dying and being on page five. Those are my friends. I'm ticked off about that. And so I, I could tell she wasn't going to stop and talk with us. So I just felt a little prompting that said, you got to be open to her life here. And so I said, can I walk with you to class? And so she was going just two buildings up. And I walked with her for about four minutes up there. And I asked her those three questions. 
She said, well, I, I'd change this, I'd change this, I'd change that. And then she went to class. I said, you ought to stop by after class. She said, I'm completely booked up all afternoon. And so I said, well, okay, well, God bless you, take care, you know, or something. And so then I came back and sat at our display for about five minutes or so, and all of a sudden, here she came. And she's coming back there, and she shows up. And she said, guess what? My class just got canceled. Whoa, you know, that was kind of cool. And so if you don't take the risk, you don't see God show up like that. That's where the adventure is. That's the juice in, the, in being able to be an adventure and following Jesus. Wow. So she comes there, and we sat down for 30 minutes as she poured out her life of her hurt from Christians and of her, her views about things and how her mom had stolen money from her and how she's about to flunk out and how she is an EMT. And she said, if God is so good, tell me, how can you believe in a God when I see so much stuff as an EMT? Last night, I was involved with having to work at a drunk driving accident. I was pulling a dead teenager out of the car. And I am so sick of what all I've seen. She began to tell me from her training and from EMT, how can you believe in a God like that? And I didn't give her just rough answers back. I just empathized and cared for her. And you know, by the end of our time, she, we had really connected. And I'd encouraged her to really know. I said, in fact, I looked at her in the eyes and I said, Ashley, I know you've been through a whole lot, but I want you to know, as you just told me, you feel like no one cares about you, your mom or anybody. You're all alone. I said, that's not true because I, in this short amount of time, deeply care about what you're going through. And in a greater way, God cares about you and he loves you. And she got this little smile on her face for the first time just by being open to somebody's life. We've got to be open to who's been around us. It may lead us to someone different from us like Jesus had to do where he was in, maybe someone different with race or class or gender or education or work. One question to ask ourselves on this one of opening our lives is who has been in your home, in your apartment, or whose home have you been in? That's kind of sharing a meal together, having some activity like that often is another level of intimacy with friendship. So open our lives to each other, be outward focused. The other thing we read, we see from that passage we read is that we need to be real and authentic. Jesus was tired. He was hungry. He asked her for a drink. And I think often we think of Jesus as this divine son of God, which is fully true, but we forget that he also was fully human. It was the fully human, fully God, God-man in one person is who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus here we, is showing his humanity. He is tired, he is hungry, and he asks her for a drink. A lot of times when we think about reaching out to people outside the Christian faith, we think about how they are different from those of us who are following Jesus and what we don't have in common. But I find I have a lot in common with them. We all face the economic downturn. We all face financial pressures and relational breakups and stresses in our families and can't figure out how to parent and questions about our future. We have all of that in common. I just have a different place to go with that. And so I begin with what I have in common there and often by being real and authentic and transparent and saying, hey, I have the same questions you do. I wonder, God, what were you thinking when this happened? And that's okay to ask that question. I have the same struggles and questions and doubts that you do. What that does is that says to someone, this is a safe person. This can be a spiritual friend who is safe and I can be real with and we can build trust in a relationship. They're not just looking at me as a project to get them to follow Jesus. This is a real community. This is a real friendship. And that's what I love about Genesis. From what little I've been around, I can pick up, this is a safe place to explore God. 
that just come as you are and explore God. That's what we do with InterVarsity. In fact, now almost over 30% of the students involved with InterVarsity would self-identify as not Christian. But they're exploring God in a safe community. So have fun with your friends, but be real and authentic like that, like Jesus was here. Now, where does the story go from there? Well, that's where it leads us to the third principle, which is to ask questions and draw out people. Often we start by giving answers or giving our script like the robot, but instead ask questions and draw out people uh, about their own stories and experiences. Look at verse 10, and I'll I'll read it for you here. After Jesus asked her for a drink, then she said, well, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she's like, living water? What's that? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Wow. See, Jesus began by asking her a question. Give me a, would you give me a drink? And when you look at his life throughout the New Testament, you see where Jesus was the master of asking questions to draw out people. He would ask questions like, Who do you say that I am? What do you mean by the word good? When the person asked him, Good teacher. But he he asked them questions. Jesus knew the answers to those things, but he was helping them discover, drawing out what their thinking and experiences had been. Here he does it through a creative word analogy of living water. It's like, oh, now don't go talking all symbolically and weird and freaking out your neighbors, okay? But, But there is a way where you don't have to give all the merchandise all at once. Throw out a sentence or two and say, can you relate to that or what do you think? And so it becomes more of a dialogue. Well, here he said living water to kind of made her curiosity factor go up. The point is we want to draw out what people's experiences and thoughts and feelings are without judging it and just simply hearing their story. I kind of have a pattern where I will ask people questions and as I hear their response, like I might say, what's been your experience with Christianity? Or have you ever felt close to God? Or some of those type of questions. And then I will, I will say, um, I'll look for common ground for myself and say, yeah, I can relate to that. And then I begin to tell a story from my life or others' lives or, my, or Jesus. So the combination of asking questions, finding common ground, and telling stories really goes a long way of just be, building a relationship. It's more about being a spiritual guide than a slick salesperson. Uh, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings. Do you remember the movie? How many of you saw Lord of the Rings and can still remember back that far when Lord of the Rings came out? Yeah, four of you. Okay, good. Um, but it, it was a while. But this is a graphic illustration. Was You remember the... Gandalf was the guide for Frodo. And so he didn't tell Frodo, go up here, turn right, and take this particular um, little path. But he helped him discover the path he needed to take. But he was a guide. Sometimes he was directive. And other times he would just provide counsel and support, like a, a guide that's helping someone climb Mount Everest who's been up and down the path many times and knows the path but is helping you experience it yourself. That's a healthy picture of being a spiritual friend. One principle I've often learned is that if I get people talking about themselves, they never run out of material. You know, it's true. 
they've always got more. So be, just ask them questions about their life and story and find places to relate. This idea of questions is very interesting because on college campuses, I do that with something we call question mark. And here's a picture of what we do. It's just a, an open Q&A about spiritual questions. Sometimes it's in a big food court or a ballroom like this where we might have a couple of hundred students there. And I have no agenda. I could never come and say, I'm going to speak for an hour or an hour and a half. But I'll just open it up with five minutes and then I'll say, I'm here to respond to your spiritual questions about God and Christianity and the Bible and religion. And I don't claim to have it all together. I don't have all the answers. But this will be a safe place for you to ask your real questions about God and to give th- get thoughtful. And let's have a thoughtful, respectful dialogue about, uh, about Christianity and the religion and the Bible and Jesus. And uh, boy, it's amazing. These things, you know, I open it up and they'll go an hour to an hour and a half of just Q&A back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes in a fraternity or sorority, lounge and a dorm lounge and other times campus-wide. And it's amazing. I had one of these go for three hours one time, you know. I called my wife and, you know, normally we go an hour and 15 minutes and cut it off and then I'll stay around and take some questions. And this night, it was hopping. And uh, so I said, hey, I'll stay. We've closed this off. You're free to leave, but I'll I'll take some more of your questions. And they stayed till they had to close the building at 11 o'clock. And it was three hours. I called Dawn and I said, honey, can you believe it? I talked for three hours straight tonight. She goes, yeah, I can believe that. That's not a stretch. But it was invigorating. And I just find people are spiritually hungry for a safe place, even with their neighbors or coworkers, for people to process life in that way. This last week um, was exciting at Indiana State. And, uh, and then the week before, I was at University of Illinois and was in a fraternity. And this guy named Bogdan He's actually originally from Romania, and he, was, he said, I'm an agnostic. I'm not sure, I'm not sure about the God can be known. And uh, as we got to talking a little bit, it was interesting because he had, had great questions in the question mark time. But then about halfway through, one of his fraternity brothers raised a question, and Bogdan turned to him and said, well, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Here's what I think Christians would say. And he starts defending the Christian position really well, you know? And I thought, you're dude, you're good. I mean, you're really good at this. Well, afterwards, Bogdan stayed around with me, and he said, I have a few questions just for my life. As we sat there for 20 minutes, as he just kept saying, this is what I've wondered, you know, just a safe, fun time. Then he said, I have one last question, and he asked me that. And then for 20 more minutes, he says, well, I do have one more last question. I have another last question. I have another one. We did that 20 more minutes, got up to leave, walked walked to the door of his fraternity house, and and for 20 more minutes, he asked me last questions. We were there an hour altogether dealing with his last questions. The next night was an outreach event, and he came and he made a commitment to follow Jesus that night because he'd had some of his questions addressed in a safe environment. The fourth thing that we want to be able to see is that, uh, besides these three, is that we need to show grace to people. Look at what Jesus does as this passage goes forward. He has drawn out this woman, but then. She says, sir, give me the water. And so he says to her, go call your husband and come back. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus did expose that she was not following him. She exposed sin. He exposed the truth. He didn't wimp out on the truth, but he did it with grace. 
I want to lead with grace. I want to lead with mercy and love and compassion and let them taste God's love in a deep way. And yes, we'll get to the part of truth, but it's not my role to convict them. It's the Holy Spirit's role. So I can go in the freedom of first meeting them. Look at how Jesus so carefully met them by showing grace and dignity to this woman. He said, yes, well, go get your husband. She, she didn't have any husband. She had five or six men she'd been with. And yet Jesus didn't just condemn her. Now, this last week when I was at Indiana State, I'll tell you generally about what happened. Was we were setting up our outside display here to talk about, to get into conversations with people and talk about what they would change in the world and change about Christianity. At the same time, across, right, uh, right near us, in the center of this cross-track area, across uh, the fountain area there, was another group that was very hostile to Christianity. And they were having a major rally at noon. And they were setting up, and they, they really have been hurt by the church, and they've been angry, and it was very vocal, loud and vocal, and we're set right next to each other. I mean, kind of just a few hundred, uh, maybe 50 feet away from each other. And as that's happening, this fundamentalist street preacher showed up. And this guy stood right between us, and I could overhear his conversation. And he's got his little mentor that he's, mentor that he's trying to teach on how to be judgmental. And so, uh, and, he, and he, really, I can hear him, and he's just saying debauchery. And he's saying it with that kind of intensity. You know, words that just were spewing out of this guy's mouth. It's debauchery in it. And it just was really tough. And so I'm sitting here thinking, this is going to get interesting, you know? I'm planning my 24 covert ops of how we're going to take care of that guy to get him out of the room because he's going to represent Christians in a negative way. And sure, you know, I disagree with some of the people in that rally, but at the same time, all they've had from Christians is people that yell and scream at them and condemn them. And so I, I thought, what are we going to do with it? Well, thankfully, this guy left. And, uh, but, but later that night, I, had to talk, I talked with some folks, and you'll hear about that in just a quick second. But, but that guy wasn't showing grace. I believe in the truth of Scripture, but you've got to start by showing grace like Jesus did here. And then, look at what happens. After he exposes her sin there, then she, she picks up on the clue, and that's where we, um, we see, she says, Sir, the, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's trying to throw out the latest theological question controversy here. And Jesus says, woman, and that's a very endearing term. It's not negative or disrespectful. It's a deeply endearing term. Woman, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and the time now comes, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, am he. See, these four things that are up here are very interesting because as we do model these four principles to our friends, they really contradict or, or they, they, uh, they're an antidote to those four perceptions that people have about outs of Christianity from outsiders. We open our lives to other people. We're not sheltered. We are real and authentic. We're not hypocrites. We're being transparent and real about our own questions and struggles. We ask questions and draw out people. We're not just interested in getting them saved and, and getting them to follow Jesus. 
We show grace. We're not, just, we're not judgmental and harsh because we've experienced grace, and so we are showing grace as well. And then as that's happening, the fifth one is what happens here is we point people to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. Here at the end, Jesus said, I am the Messiah. And people do need to look at it. So what do you think about Jesus? This last week, as I was at Indiana State, that night we had a uh, question mark, a couple question marks each night. I'll usually do two or three in different houses a night. But this last one was amazing. And uh, two women came up to me afterwards, Kelsey and Brianna. Brianna had been deeply hurt by the church and by Christians. She had been wounded. And her parents and the church had really hurt her in some deep ways uh, based on lifestyle choices and other things she's involved in. And she was closed to God. And I said, what do you think about God? She said, I don't have much room for that. I'm tired of it. Some of you may feel that way right now, man. You're sitting in here and you can relate to that. And she said, she said I, I'm not so interested in that. And I let her talk for a long time. And then I finally said, you know, I, I hear that. But I also want to encourage you on one other thing, that I believe God really does love you. And he does, his way does bring freedom from all kinds of addictions that we have and all kinds of pains that we have. And, I, and then her friend, Kelsey, that was with her, said, well, I've grown up in the, around five or seven different church denominations, and I'm just sick of it all. And she, but how do I get reconnected to God? And I, after listening to her for a long time, I said, you know, one thing I'd encourage you to do, look in the book of Mark. And we got her a Bible that she could read easily. I said, read in the book of Mark and look at Jesus with fresh eyes. And look at who he is. Forget all the stuff you've heard from other people. And look how compelling this Jesus is. Are you drawn to him? And who does he claim to be? And what backs that up? I said, you could sit down with somebody and just process that together. She said, you know what? I think that'd be really cool to do. Her friend, who's been deeply wounded by the church, looks at her. She says, maybe I could do that with you. Wow. That was a key moment for her. One step. One step. Sometimes in, a, in evangelism and outreach, we think about celebrating the touchdowns when it's really also about celebrating the five-yard gains down the field. So at Genesis Church, as we wrap up, God is building a witnessing community here, a missional community at, at Genesis to help people find their ways back to God. And I want to ask you the question, who are the faces that come to your mind that God has placed into your life? Neighbors. Co-workers, family, friends. That God might be nudging you to just say, be a real friend. Get in their lives. And as appropriately, ask questions and draw them out and connect your faith and expose your own stories to them to consider Jesus at the right times. You know, all of us have had times, or many of us have had times where we've called on Jesus to rescue us. And we've experienced his grace. And now we have the privilege of saying, God, in my life, in my world, I want you to be glorified. And that is worth giving my life to his kingdom work. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for this great privilege we have of being spiritual friends to people who are desperately hungry. I pray for those in this room right now who might say, I need a spiritual friend because I'm, I am just feel so alone. And I pray that in this community, they would find someone that would come with them to explore you or to go deeper in you. But I pray you would give us eyes to see people around us that you have brought into our paths, that we could be authentic and real, compassionate 
spiritual friends, just like we are, and yet pointing them to the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.